so welcome everyone to another edition of Path to Becoming a CFO. Today we have uh, Elena Gomez with us. Elena is a CFO at uh, Zendesk. I'm sure we have lots of Zendesk customers in the audience. We are a Zendesk customer. I don't think Elena mentioned that. And uh, so she's right. uh, you know been CFO there for a few years. Before that, she was SVP of Finance and Strategy at Salesforce for about six years. Spent a long time at at Charles Schwab. Uh, before that, for about 11 years, if I'm not mistaken, in KPMG. Before that, you know, uh, awesome career. And I'm uh, very happy to have her join us today. By the way, she's also on the board of a couple of public companies, PagerDuty and Smartsheet. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, learning more about her uh, journey. Elena, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Tejo, for having me. This is going to be fun. Awesome. So let's dive in. So. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned you know, all of those roles that you've had. Uh, I think uh, you, you've had like very meaty periods of time that you've spent at KPMG, Charles Schwab, Salesforce. So from that perspective, I think there was Visa in there in, there, uh, you know, in the middle. For but new, yeah, for the most part, minute. this is, yeah, so this was like your fourth job essentially, right? And you've spent a good amount of time in a lot of these roles. You know, which role do you think helped prepare you for the CFO role the most, right? And what was kind of in that journey of personal growth for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and thanks again uh, for having me. Um, so look, I've had, I was trying to think about which one of those was the most impactful uh, and they all helped in some way. Uh, and so I, I share that because as, as people go through their journey and their career, there's many elements of jobs that will come up in your, in your future. Um, but the two that stand out for me are um, actually, you'll be surprised, the very first one, which was working at KPMG, and then my most recent experience at Salesforce. So I'll, I'll hit KPMG first. And that was such a good training ground uh, for any finance professional. But I think one of the most important things it taught me was executive presence and uh, being calm under pressure and a, a cool cucumber, if you will, because I was so... Uh, early in my career that I can tell you many times I would go into meetings and maybe uh, the conversation was something above my level, above my pay grade. Um, but I just, you know, held my own in, the, in that conversation. And so you quickly learn how to use cues and, and uh, show up in a way that you are part of the conversation, regardless of how junior you might think you are. Uh, so I thought that was really good training for me, just being put in front of CFOs very early in my career and hearing how they think. Um, and then the most recent experience with Salesforce was also amazing for a different reason. As, as you guys know, it's a, it's a high growth company. I, I was there when there were about 3,000 employees, and I've, I haven't kept track of how many, but it's probably north of 40,000. Uh, but when I left, um, we were at about 22,000 employees. So you can imagine the growth I saw from being there at 3,000 employee to 22,000. And so um, just learning to be completely agile and flexible and scrappy and have a, a winning growth mindset is something that has served me well now as a CFO. Um, and also making decisions with a lot of imperfect information. Uh, you know, as finance people, we try to be super precise and accurate, and that's important. But another really important skill is being somewhat scrappy and, and making gut decisions based on your instincts. And I think I learned a lot of that at Salesforce. Got it. And so, you know, you've literally had like uh, all of the different roles as you were going up your career, right? But in your experience, right, you know, making that leap from 
a VP of finance level role to that CFO role, especially at a public company? What do you think sets people apart? What do you think maybe set you apart in terms of uh, why you got the opportunity uh, and, and uh, what are some of your learnings uh, from that? Yeah, no, I think probably the most important thing, uh, I would say there's really two things. One is business partnership um, and and just getting yourself into the business as if you're part of them, right? You're not a separate department. You're not, you're not in finance, but you're really part of, in my example at Salesforce, I was really part of the go-to-market leadership team. And I worked those relationships big time. You know, I was constantly in there talking to them, finding out what was going on. And oftentimes it was actually not because I needed something, but more because I wanted to build that relationship, whether it was through lunches or coffees. Uh, but sometimes it was just organic built relationship building that I was really working to make sure um, that if I had that relationship in a, in a situation, I needed something from that individual, uh, I, could, I could leverage that relationship to either influence an outcome I wanted um, or just frankly for me to continue to learn the business. And I think as a finance partner, you have to know the business as well or better than the people running the business um, because then your, your impact is way more um, obvious. Uh, and then the other thing is communication. Um, you know, I can't stress that enough. I, I've seen so many years of finance uh, folks uh, presenting and again, we're, we tend to be very detail oriented and very precise, um, but the, the elevation of the conversation with a, a CEO or an executive team is often not as detailed as, as it is you know, in the day to day. And so having the ability to fly at a higher altitude, despite the fact that you might actually have been in a lot of the sausage making and you might have actually been in a lot of those details, um, what made me stand out, I think, was my ability to do both, you know, go fly at a lower altitude and get into those details. But then when I needed to come back to a, you know, a Mark or a Keith or whoever was running the company at Salesforce at the time, I flew at a much higher altitude. And so I think that's a hugely important skill that that any finance professional needs to learn. Awesome. So when we last spoke, you mentioned how you weren't looking to move out of Salesforce. You were happy. And you said no to Zendesk uh, a bunch of times. So tell us that story of how you ended up joining uh, Zendesk and why you decided it was the right time for you to finally accept. Yeah, sure. Um, so a couple of things. Just personally, I had um, I had young kids. Uh, at the time, they're still young, but at the time they were, you know, four and when I was joining Zendesk, four and, and seven. And so I um, I just thought I can't, as a mom, take on a, a CFO gig. And so part of my reluctance was two things. One is I thought I'm going to I'm way too busy um, to take on a bigger role and a, and a public company CFO role at that. Um, and two, I thought uh you know, I've got a good gig here. Salesforce is a great company. I was drinking the Ohana Kool-Aid, which is so true. It's an amazing company, no doubt. Um, but I really thought I would retire there. Um, and I had a mentor who actually said, you know, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disregard that opportunity because you work already a lot. Like, don't, don't make that the reason you don't go for the job. Uh, and so, yeah, I did turn him down a couple of times simply because I was in my comfort zone. Uh, and we all have experienced that in our careers. You get in your comfort zone and whatnot. Um, but it was probably a three or four month process from 
me saying no a couple of times to finally meeting Nicole, who's now my boss, um, and just having a conversation about it. And one thing that he shared, which he continues to to really um, support is, you know, he was he was a, a new parent, too, with three girls and I had two girls. And so we had that in common and we heard we were very um, open about that early on. Uh, and so he said, look, you, you've got to take care of your family. I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're really balanced here. And so just know that you'll have the you, you can still be a, you know, a mom at home and still have this job. And so once he convinced me of that, I was I was sold. Uh, not to mention, you know, the opportunity to be a public company CFO and the growth opportunity that Zendesk provided. Got it. And so this is your first kind of big high-profile CFO job, right? And so when did you start maybe getting on the radars of uh, executive recruiters? When did the knock start on your door to ask, hey, when did the offers for CFO roles start to come? And, and how did that evolution happen? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I was uh, reflecting on that. And I, I probably said no 10 times before I took the call, even with Zendesk. Like, so I think it started, I would say, a couple years before I really left. Uh, and it's not to say I didn't take phone calls, because I did. And I would, you know, do some discovery, if you will. Um, but I wanted to make sure if I was going to leave an amazing company, it would be for something even better. Uh, and so I was really calibrated in, in that assessment and my due diligence. Uh, but it did start before. And I think one thing I would encourage people to just think about is when you're evaluating your next role, um, it's really good to to actually do that discovery because then you can recognize when that one opportunity comes that really stands out from the rest. Had I not done that discovery over the two years prior, I may have not you know, I may have not seen the value that I got. You know, I may have not seen what Zendesk was as an opportunity, I would say. God. And can you expand on, on that discovery? What do you mean by that? Uh, basically, you know, when, when a we all get these calls, right, a recruiter will call and, and ask you, uh, hey, I've, I've got this opportunity. And, and the usual, the latest is the CEO definitely wants to talk to you, uh, you know, of course, um, or the, the hiring manager really wants to talk to you. Uh, and, you know, don't blame the recruiters they are doing their job. Um, but I think it's important to understand what is in the market, uh, not because you're looking to leave. Sometimes it's a validation that where you're at is actually great. Um, and so that discovery just involved either talking to recruiters or talking to CEOs or talking to other management team members at, at different companies. Um, and for example, with Zendesk, I did talk to a couple of the, the leaders at the company before I decided I would, you know, come in and actually do formal interviews. Got it. Got it. Great. And now speaking of kind of the backgrounds, this is something I ask every CFO I speak with because people come with such varied backgrounds, right? So you have an audit background yourself, right? Control audit and, and that yep, kind yep. of background you came from. But a lot of other folks come from investment banking background. And, and there are folks like, I think, uh, uh, Mark Hawkins, who studied operations research and something totally different than yeah you know, i think he Mark was an engineer too yeah probably right and so yeah. there are all these varied uh, uh you know backgrounds and uh so how do you think about you know as you work towards that role of being a cfo does that really matter and and how did you maybe think about the gaps in your skills uh obviously you had strengths that you brought to the table but there were still gaps and but as cfo you got you have to kind of own everything at the end of the day right and yeah. so how did you think about uh, 
uh, ultimately owning everything and filling some of those gaps and, and in general, the strengths and weaknesses uh, of people who might come from one background or the other. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that to, to me, you know, comparing whether it's auditing or investment banking, um, both both are, are fine. You know, there's not one I would say that stands out more than the other. And here, here's why I say that. I think the CFO role is multifaceted, as we all know. Uh, there's definitely a, a strong strategic planning element to most CFO roles. That's probably the most important skill you want to pick up along the way, by the way. Um, but then there's the investor relations, there's tax, there's accounting, all the things that we all know. Uh, and I'll be honest, I didn't have all of those uh, as strengths, if you will. Like if someone were to ask me about taxes, I, you know, um, I don't know what I would answer, but, uh, but I have a strong tax person. And so, so I share that because as I was evaluating the CFO role, a question I got was, you know, you've not done this job before. Um, why do you think you can do this job? And, uh, and that was a fair question. Um, and the way I approached it was, well, I, I consider my role in many ways like a coach. And so as a coach, uh, and I was using Bruce Bochy in the example that I gave when I was interviewing, who was the general manager for the Giants, as you know, and, and Bruce's job was who to put on first base and who to put on, you know, who to, who to put up as the pitcher for the game and all the, you know, he has a team. And so a good coach decides who to put on the, on the, on the team, who to put on the court, you know, for the game. And I knew that I had played, you know, a couple of the roles. I knew I had done strategic finance. I knew I, you know, I knew I was a CPA, but I, you know, hadn't spent a lot of time in tax. I had never talked to investors before. Um, I had not done treasury. I, I could do it to save my life, but I hadn't spent a lot of time there. And so I sort of use a metaphor of, you know, if I've played a couple of the positions really well, that's important. Uh, and the rest of it is about me getting the right team on the field. And as long as I can do that, I can do the job. So I would say neither investment banking or auditing has an advantage over the other. It's more important to identify what you don't have and make sure you put the right people on the field and fill those roles that way. Uh, so that's that's my my approach to it. And it's so far it's worked well as I built out the team at Zendesk. Got it. And what what has been your approach when you when there are areas where you don't you're not the expert you don't really know uh, you know uh, the the depths to which uh, somebody needs to be at to perform at a high level when you're not that person as a manager as the coach who is building this team what is your approach to identifying who is actually great right so who is at that level and how do you go about uh, building that confidence in yourself that I don't have all these skills, but this person does. Like, what is your approach? Yeah, no, I think, uh, so a couple of things I would say there. Um, one is leveraging my CFO network. Um, and, you know, in some cases asking, hey, would you mind meeting with this person to make sure, you know, this calibrates with you? It just, just because that's, you know, something you want to help each other out with. Um, the other thing is really looking at uh, peer, um, other leaders in the organization who might have a point of view. Um, and then really just talking to my old network over the years to say, hey, I'm looking for this kind of person. How should I be thinking about this role? Uh, and then some of it is gut instinct. You know, that is definitely a part of my day to day job is really uh, like like I said in, at the beginning, a little bit with imperfect information. Sometimes you have to go with your gut about 
uh, you know, people uh, and decisions. Got it. And you also mentioned that strategic planning is probably the most yep. important skill for the CFO. Please elaborate on that. What do you mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, a modern day CFO, as I, I like to call it, you know, maybe 10 years ago, um, the role of the CFO was quite different. It was all about, you know, closing the books and uh, being sort of the reporter of the news that had just happened. Uh, but now more and more, uh, you know, I think the role of the CFO is more about being a trusted advisor to the CEO and really putting the headlights out for the company beyond the next 90 days, um, beyond the next year, and really thinking about, you know, where is this company going to be in two to three years? And what are the choices we need, need to make in terms of investments and priorities to, to accomplish that long-term goal? Uh, and so in many ways, the CFO can serve as a compass for the company as to how to accomplish and get to that next chapter of growth, typically. Um, and that is something that is so critical. And it's not something that lives only in the finance function, which is uh, tied to what I said earlier. You know, the strategic planning really is something that should be embedded deeply in every part of the organization. And yes, the CFO shop should you know, facilitate and drive the discussion, but it shouldn't just live in the CFO shop. And, and you as a leader can help drive that for the company and for the CEO. Got it. And so, you know, I, I would imagine as someone who came from an audit background, strategic planning wasn't something that, you know, you were trained at, you had to get better at it, right? So in, in that way, what were some of those areas where you were not naturally good at when you were coming up that was a challenge but you had to kind of maybe go work extra hard at those areas and how did you go about that yeah so uh, in my career the one thing um i don't know if, if i i got lucky or somehow i changed but when i started out my career at kpmg i spent six or seven years doing auditing um and uh you know i just it didn't it didn't uh make my heart skip a beat or anything, you know? So I decided I would, I would do something different. And so when I went to Schwab, I learned very quickly the planning side of things. And I had what was a traditional FP&A role. And I've, I've done that since. So, you know, in my career, I would say the majority of it has been really strategic planning. So that's good. And that's been a strength. But the areas where I, I you know, when I walked into the CFO gig at Zen that I didn't have was talking to investors I'd never done that before and frankly was a bit overwhelmed by at the idea that I would have to talk to investors and not know, you know, what questions they would ask. Um, I think the other one was I hadn't spent, you know, like I said earlier, a ton of time in tax or treasury. Uh, and so those were skills that I wish I would have just spent a little more time paying attention to in my career, just because it would give me more confidence starting the CFO gig. Um, but those were things that I, I wasn't naturally good at. I'm not naturally good at sort of thinking about tax strategy. Um, I'm also not naturally, you know, as a CFO, you're, you're constantly in the public um, limelight for one reason or another, whether it's earnings, whether it's town halls for all employees, whether it's calls like this. Um, and so that's a skill that, you know, um, I have to pump myself up for, you know, just to make sure that I, you know, I show up in a way that resonates with the audience, whatever that audience is. Um, and it kind of goes back to communication and making sure you're really good at that, but also being confident in a, in a public setting. Got it. I, I'd also like to uh, learn a bit more about some of the areas 
where maybe you screwed up and made mistakes as a first time CFO, right? And more, more importantly, lessons and learning, more than the specific, it's about the patterns, right? And so what are some of those mistakes that you think first time CFOs typically make? And, and if you were to go back a few years and, and give yourself those lessons, what would that be? Yeah, I think the um, the first thing I would say, and I definitely have my share of mistakes that I made and can, will continue to make, so that, that's true. Um, I think the first, uh, if I were to say mistake I made was uh, around talent and not um, trusting my instincts on talent. Uh, you know, when I got to Zendesk, the team was um, small. Uh, I need, I knew I needed to upgrade the team. Uh, we, I had some really great talent and I had some talent that obviously I needed to upgrade. Uh, and I probably waited too long. I was, I was being the nice CFO, didn't want to mix it up too much. Um, so there's, that's, I think a mistake. If I were to go back, I would probably be a bit more directive earlier. Um, and then I think the next thing was, uh, I gravitated towards what I knew instead of gravitating towards what I didn't know. Uh, so as an example, like I, I know go to market cold. I just know that's just kind of how I spent my time at Salesforce. And so immediately I wanted to dive in, but I kind of already knew the patterns there. Uh, I didn't spend enough time with the product. And so that's just an example of balancing how I spend my time. Um, I would have maybe done it a little different if I were to go back in time. Um, and then uh, a couple of times, this is kind of funny, I, I I had to learn, right? I told you I didn't have investor relations experience. So a couple of times I would you know, catch myself saying something to investors or analysts and saying, I should have said that differently. Or I should have given different context to that because all of a sudden it, it it becomes a slew of questions that really are a distraction from what you're really trying to say. Uh, so that was a learning for me. So I've I've um, I've just gotten better at, at just providing proper context and knowing what I can and can't say. Um, so those are the things I would say. Got it. And you know, also you talked earlier about how. Uh, you're a mom with young kids and that made you hesitate to take that role. And uh, you are, of course, in a profession where there aren't, you know, a lot of public companies, women CFOs, and, and, and you're a minority in two ways, right? And so you're a really small number in the grand scheme of things when you look at public companies. And so, you know, what has your personal experience been in terms of uh, maybe overcoming some of those uh, challenges or has it been challenging and, and how should people in the audience who might be in a similar situation think about uh, whether it's going to be uh, in, in terms of uh, what they can take away from your experience, right? Yeah, so um, I'll start by saying that I, I view it as a huge opportunity, you know, and I'm a great example of what's possible and that that is a responsibility that I have to make sure I I um, inspire others, other women, that it's 100% possible. But I'll start by sharing a quick story. When I first, uh, my first investor roadshow, my I have a IR leader who is male. Uh, he's amazing at what he does, um, and he's taught me a lot. So I don't know if he's on the call, but uh, he's he's awesome. And so we we went to New York on our first uh, investor call, and of course, as I said, I was a little intimidated and not sure what to expect. And we met with 10 people that day in New York, um, 10 different, uh, you know, investors. And um, these guys are busy, right? The investors are busy. And so they probably read around 100 companies. And so they, they don't, I don't think they had picked up on the fact that, uh, you know, Mark was bringing 
uh, the new CFO. And so we get into the meeting and it's usually, you know, small meeting, intimate, three people. And they started asking him the questions and um, first, you know, and I was, I was a little like, you know, I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, wait, I'm right. Like, here I am. I'm expecting, you know, the hard questions and they're not directing them to me. Uh, and so it was, it was frustrating, but at the same time, it kind of just, I kind of used it as an experiment to see how many meetings would they always direct the questions to him. And by the middle of the meeting, you know, or two, two minutes in when he would say, Oh, by the way, I want to introduce you to our new CFO. The look on their face was like, Oh, shoot. I think I just screwed that up. Uh, so, um, so anyway, that's just wall street. I mean, that's sort of, you know, once something you have to deal with and that it could have been a discouraging moment, but I actually flipped it as a, as a way to lean in. And not only did I answer the questions, but I, I showed them that I knew my stuff. And so it was, it was fun to kind of turn the table and see their reaction, but also show up. Uh, and it didn't matter if I was female or not. Um, so that's, that's the experience I've had. And I've been to so many um, CFO conferences and, you know, I'm, I'm one of the few female CFOs on some level. It's, awesome like really that i you know i have this opportunity uh on another level it speaks to the fact that i feel like i have a responsibility to get more female cfos out there and mentor uh women in the finance profession um to to kind of pursue this because it is possible even as a mother and even as um in in tech which is also tends to be um also very male dominated right and so we're trying to change the tide um, so it's kind of a double whammy with tech and finance. Yeah, and it looks like you're doing this not just in the CFO role, but in, in as, as a board member too, right? right. So uh, you're now on the boards of PagerDuty and Smartsheet, two other public companies. One, why did you choose to do that in the middle of an already incredibly busy uh, kind of schedule, I would imagine? What is the motivation to do that? And, and two, did those opportunities open up, uh, you know, because you became a CFO, do you think you would have, gotten those opportunities if you had stayed on at Salesforce? Uh, that's a good question. So to answer the last one um, first, uh, the, the policy at the time when I was at Salesforce, even though you're, you know, I was a, a senior executive, was you couldn't be on a public company board. So, so it didn't, it wasn't that I didn't get the ask when I was a SVP at Salesforce. It was just not our policy to allow executives to be on, on boards unless they were nonprofit boards. Um, so I didn't have that opportunity then. Uh, when I got to Zendesk, my boss said, hey, you know, once, you, once you're ready, I would love for you to be, and he's encouraged us to be on boards. And, and the reason is I'm a better CFO because I'm on those boards. And I say that because I sit around the table with very, um, you know, with, a, with a colleagues on the boards that, that are, um, you know, very reputable board members. They're they're um, been on boards for a long time. They see a lot. And so I get to learn a lot from just hearing the kinds of questions they ask, having banter with them before the board meeting. I can leverage them now, which I often do if I have a question that I want to benchmark something or I want to ask, hey, how would you solve this? I've got a, you know, about 10 different board members now I can call as a, a net, in my network now. And so all those things have made me a better board member. And it was a conscious choice. I wanted to do that to, to get that experience. I don't know if I would have taken on the second one. I'm definitely very busy. Um, 
but Jen Tejada is an amazing leader. And so when she called, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you, Jen, but I am, I am full. Uh, but it's been great. Both, both PagerDuty and Smartsheet have been great experiences and continue to be um, great. Awesome. So uh, I want to jump into a few other uh, areas like mentorship and hiring sure. management, those kinds of uh, areas. But before I do that, quick reminder to everyone, if you have questions, there's a Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom window. You can go ahead and type it there. I will, if it's relevant to what we're discussing, I'll, I'll just ask right away. Otherwise, we'll come to it uh, towards the end. Awesome. So, Elena, you know, now, now if you were to uh, jump into mentors, you talked about how one of your mentors kind of maybe uh, uh, you, know, you spoke with uh, him or her about the Zendesk opportunity and, and uh, that helped you make the decision. So, tell me a little bit about uh, how important mentors were to your success, right? And, and if they were important, how did you find them? How did you build those relationships? Have you been like this methodical person who tries to cultivate those relationships? over time. And, and uh, so I'd love to hear uh, more about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. I think mentors have played a, a big role uh, in my career uh, over the years. And I would say all of the mentors that come to mind right now for me uh, have all been more organic than, um, than me sort of orchestrating exactly that they're my mentor. Um, and they would know that they were my mentor if I, if I named them. Um, but I, I think they have absolutely given me context because they knew who I was, they knew what I could do. And often my questions were centered around career advice, like should I consider this role and what could I do differently, that kind of thing. And so absolutely they were invent, uh, important. Um, I also think that uh, it's important to have a diversity of mentors, if that makes sense. So I've always thought about mentorship and a little bit of a framework of you know, who is someone who I aspire to be like, even if I don't know them, you know, uh, as an example, and, and like Michelle Obama is a great example of something like, okay, I, I would love to be able to articulate and just, you know, be her. Uh, I will never meet her, but she's still someone that I, you know, look up to, let's say. Um, but then there's real mentors, right? People that you know in your workplace and there's the stretch mentor, someone who's, who you know is going to stretch you and, and so on. And then there's the you know, in my case, uh, another mom in my network who doesn't exactly know what I do, but knows enough about my personal attributes to know and have instincts about what I would be good at. Um, and so I've used all those. And in fact, when I when I decided to take the Zendesk job, it was a mom in my neighborhood uh, because I was on the fence. Like, should I stay at Salesforce? Should I not? Um, and I went for a walk with her and she said, I don't exactly know what a public company CFO does, um, but I know you can do it. And so I ended up coming home and, and making the call to accept the, accept the job. And it was just someone who knew me and knew instinctively about me and could tell that I actually really did want this job. So I thank her for that to this day, but she is a mentor. Got it. And speaking of mentorship, I'm sure you're at that point now where you are mentoring other people maybe on your own team at Zendesk and and otherwise and and as you've seen people rise in their own careers what some of the patterns you've seen in the people who tend to be uh, uh, you know more successful uh, over time yeah so I think um, the the most important thing I've seen from all the people I've mentored and continue to mentor is they take their career in their own hands like they do not wait for someone to to, to 
present opportunities, they seek them out. Um, and they're constantly reflecting and trying to figure out, you know, how can I broaden my experience? Where can I learn? They have this intellectual curiosity that's just like a thirst to learn. And so the people who I've seen be really successful are that. They drive their own career and they, they're never, they never stop being a student. Um, you you kind of always have to keep learning. And, and I think that's who I've seen will stand out amongst a crowd. Got it. And also, you know, as CFO now, a big part of your job, I imagine, is managing people, leading people, hiring, recruiting, convincing smart people to come work on, on your teams. And, and did that spark come naturally to you, like uh, the whole leadership management, or is that something you had to work at and get better at uh, over time? Yeah, no, it's definitely an evolution. Uh, and I continue to, to learn and get better, I hope, uh, over time. Uh, and I also think um, where you work and the context in which you're working really matters. And so as a leader, you know, when I was working 20 years ago, it was very different than the leader I am today. Uh, and so I've had to evolve my leadership style. I think the one thing that I've been consistent with uh, over the years, and I learned this early, was just uh, acknowledging and recognizing talent. Um, I had a situation early in my career, I was actually one of my best friends now, but he was working for me and he, he um, I had gone to a, an executive meeting, I have brand new VP at, at Charles Schwab. And he says, uh, hey, I just wanted to let you know before you go to the meeting, everyone on your team wants to quit. And uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, great, thanks. Um, and so I, you know, of course I, you know, frankly, I freaked out in that moment because I knew I needed my team. So I went off to the meeting and I came back. It was a few days before the holiday break. And I said, well, you know, what's going on? And he said, well, I know that you're very results oriented. You're, you know, a demanding leader and super direct, but you haven't bothered to say thank you. And these people are working 12 hour days for you. And that just, that, that, meeting is one of the like moments in my career that were pivotal like changing how i recognize people always remembering that you know people have a choice of where they work they don't have to work for you they can work especially nowadays with a talent market the, the way it is and so i think it's really important as a leader to to really recognize talent and that's that's something that has been consistent but in terms of me being a leader and hiring and so on that's always evolving and continues to evolve Got it. And so here's a related question that came in. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? And, and did, did that, I, either way, did that personality trait uh, help you or hurt you uh, as you were progressing in your career? Yeah, I, I'm an introvert, actually. Um, and so, you know, doing things like this or getting on stage in front of a town hall at my company or, you know, investor days, those are like big moments for me because it gets me out of my comfort zone. Um, but it's good. It's like, it's, it's great. It tests me, it pu pushes me in a way that uh, some people, they love being on stage. I'm really good being like the, the number two behind the stage, but I appreciate that in my role. Um, I don't always have a choice, you know, um, but I am definitely an introvert at heart. Got it. So extra thanks for uh, doing this. And so moving on, uh, you know, in, into the role of, of uh, finance in the company. You talked earlier about how partnering with the other leaders and executives, uh, you know, has, is something that you've learned is, is uh, really important. But uh, what are some actionable things you've done 
in terms of building trust and building relationships and you know between finance and the other parts of the organization because there's always this risk of finance being seen as a back office and uh, and then uh, you know, things like that right and uh, what has your experience in learning been about building those relationships and, and giving finance a seat uh, at the table? Yeah, it goes back to, uh, you know, one, really proving that, um, you know, you know the business. Um, I think that's really important. And I think that as a finance leader, you know, yes, you are su supporting organization, but you're really in support of growing the company. And that's the DNA I give my finance team all the time. I give them not, not the DNA, but the um, kind of the inspiration is, look, we're here to help the company grow. Like that's the primary reason we're here. And so our ability to do that is, will be much greater if we are completely integrated into the business and not, you know, the back office. And so uh, part of that is, you know, getting everyone on the finance team to believe in that and giving them the tools and for me, what that means is making sure I can do my job in cascading what I'm learning at my executive staff meetings and what I'm learning in my circles that I run in, which is sometimes very different than what my team is hearing. But I win if I can share and impart that context for them so they can be better partners. So one is making sure my team believes how important they are to growing the company. Uh, and then two is really making sure they actually have the time to do that. Oftentimes what happens is they get stuck in the day-to-day, -day, closing the books and doing things like that, which doesn't leave them enough time to do uh, some, some more of the business insight and strategic finance. And so I'm really trying hard to um, move a lot of the high volume, low risk work off of the strategic finance team so they can really spend more of their mind share with the business building those relationships. Got it. And so let's kind of uh, look into the future a little bit. Maybe before we look into the future, we'll start by uh, looking at the past in terms of how the CFO role has evolved and changed, right? And so I know you're doing it uh, on a big stage uh, for the first time, but as you've looked and been on teams, uh, where you've seen the CFO role up close, in your opinion, has it changed a lot in terms of the day-to-day -day work that a public company CFO does? Right? You go back, say, 15 years and today, uh, what has that experience been? Yeah, no, I do think, you know, when I look back at um, earlier in my career when I, you know, was working with CFOs, I felt that um, it was very much about what happened in the past and, um now I feel like, you know, most CEOs want that trusted advisor. Um, they want someone to help them look around corners and look, you know, two, three years out and help the organization um, think through that, through not only the financials, but also just what are the strategic imperatives if we want to continue to grow as a company? What are the things we need to focus on? Uh, and so I think that more and more is coming from a partnership with the CFO and, and the CEO as opposed to the CEO having that burden all by themselves. And so um, that I think won't change. I think that will actually even evolve where, where it will continue to be more and more um, influence from the finance team, frankly, to help companies grow and, and be more strategic. Got it. And, um, you know, when you look at the future, a lot of, you know, a lot of the people in the audience 
I might be up for those CFO roles in the next five yep. years, 10 years in, in that time frame. How do you think uh, the role is evolving? Right? Do you think the specific skills that you recommend uh, people focus on uh, just learning about getting better at because it's going to become a lot more relevant over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think a couple things I would say right off the bat, you know, technology and the role technology will play uh, in our world is going to only increase. Um, and, and I say that um, because I even as I look at, um, you know, when I got to Zendesk and even Salesforce, you know, some of the things that we were doing were probably the things that we've done the same way for 10 years. And that's no longer viable. Like we, we and I've told, I just had this talk with my team last week to say, you know, the, the business is going to grow, but we're probably not going to grow with the business. Like I can tell you that right now. Uh, and so how do we do more with less? And part of that will be our own embracing of technology to help us scale. And so um, there is no CFO who, who will succeed if they don't embrace technology in my mind. Uh, and so that's everything from whether it's AI or RPA or whatever, you, you know, whatever path um, there is no CFO that's not trying to figure out how to scale. Um, and I think technology is a big asset in, in that uh, equation. I think the other thing is, um, you know, the strategic role of a CFO is not going to be a nice to have. It's going to be mandatory. And so any role, any company you're in, uh, I would just make sure you're looking up and around and understand really the business levers uh, of the company you're in. Like what is really driving growth through your company? You will become way more relevant if you have a complete understanding of that end to end. Got it. So before I ask you the last question, again, reminder uh, to the folks who are listening in, Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom uh, window. I'm going to jump to audience questions right after I ask uh, this last question. So please ask away if you have any. So uh, as you think about your own role at Zendesk now right, and in the next few years, how do you see that evolving? What do you think are the upcoming big challenges for you? Anything that you can share with us and, and as Zendesk continues to kind of grow, uh, it's a $12 billion public company now and and uh, continues to grow. And what do you think are going to be the big challenges uh, uh, for you over the next few years and how are you approaching that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the key things is um, helping the company scale, not just the, the finance function, but as you know, as companies get larger and larger, um, scale is super important across the organization. And what often happens with high fast growth companies is, um, you know, quickly you realize, oh, wait, we have this many people doing something that is no longer relevant. And so being more ruthless about prioritization, I think will be critical. Um, and then really putting focus on scaling, not only the back office, but everywhere in the company. How, how do we find the areas of scale? And then how do we get very disciplined about our big bets? Um, because oftentimes a challenge a CFO has is you know, let's avoid peanut butter spreading and, and just putting investment everywhere. And I think as you get bigger, um, not only is scale important, but really placing those big bets for that next chapter of growth. And that's sort of what I see uh, will be on my plate uh, over the next few years. Got it. And sorry, bonus question. I, you also mentioned when we last spoke that your CEO recently challenged you with a whole new thing that has nothing to do with finance, right? Yeah. And so how do you think about that? And how do you think about uh, you know, CFOs getting broader mandates like that. I remember, uh, uh, you know, when I was speaking with Maynard Webb 
who's on the board of Salesforce and Visa and companies like that. He talked about Bob Swan, who's a CEO at Intel uh, right now, right? So, but he started off as a CFO of eBay. Right. So, you know, there, there are a small number of CFOs who actually go on uh, and, and take these uh, broader CEO roles. Not sure if you have uh, that ambition, but uh, have you thought about what needs to happen in terms of your own experience to make maybe that kind of a transition and take on an even bigger role? Yeah, no. Um, yeah. So a couple things, like I, like uh, you said, I, when I came to Zendesk, I was uh, obviously a CFO and I've expanded my role now to include uh, success and support. Um, and that was really a, a product of me just having intellectual curiosity, but also my boss not really seeing lines between roles. You know, he didn't let my job define what I do. Uh, and so that's been great. It's been a great learning for me. It's really pushed me beyond boundaries that, you know, in terms of my learning of the business. And so uh, do I have aspirations to be CEO one day? Uh, yeah, when I grow up maybe. Um, but, I, but I think if I were to do that, I would want even more, I'd want to pick up more, uh, you know, roles beyond um, customer success and potentially in product. Um, because I think all of those skill sets can only help um, just kind of round out your experience. Uh, but the one beauty is when you're in the CFO role, and those of you who are in finance, the breadth of what you see prepares you a lot more than you think. And so even though I'm not running product at Zendesk and I'm not running um, legal or any other part of the company, um, I'm definitely very clear and understand the dynamics of those organizations enough that if I had to tomorrow uh, help the CEO with that, I could. And so that's the beauty of being in finance. You see it all. Awesome. So now before I jump into audience questions and I see a few of them have come in, uh, I'm going to you know, uh, give uh, Laura 30 seconds uh, to ask all of you a quick question. Yeah, thanks, Tejo. Uh, yeah, so just really quickly. Um, so we're at Airbase. We would love to know if you'd like to learn any, if you'd like to learn more about us. That's great. If not, no worries. Um, but just let me know on this poll, and uh, we'll reach out if you are interested. Um, and I'll yeah, so maybe this is the <laughs> ten-second ad spot in the podcast, right? So yeah, Airbase. Yeah. We are a uh, spend management platform. If you're a you know mid-market company dealing with corporate cards and expense reimbursement systems and bill payment systems and a whole bunch of different systems. And you want to bring it all together into a single platform and have a much better experience with that. You know, please come talk to us. Awesome. That's so, uh, Laura, that's great. So let's jump into, uh, you know, the audience uh, questions. Now, you know, uh, Elena, one of the questions uh, was uh, how to think about scale because when recruiters reach out, right, they press on experience at different levels of scale. Have you run a business that is doing $100 million in revenue or, you know, $25 million in revenue? What's the difference, right? And so in, in your experience, uh, you know, being a CFO at maybe a company that's doing $50 million versus $200 million versus $500 million, how does that scale and, and how do the challenges uh, change over time? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. So um, it it depends on sort of pre or post IPO and the skill sets you need and 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 so on. I think in the early, you know, the, the earlier skills are all about cash and you know making sure you have enough cash to grow the business and and sort of thinking through that lens uh, and getting the company ready and prepared and and the sort of the structure of the finance org ready for IPO typically. Um, post IPO, it's really about getting into the rhythm of, you know, what a public company needs to be accountable for every 90 days. 
Um, and so both skills are, are definitely desired in the marketplace. Uh, I've seen places where they say, hey, I want someone who's got public company experience. That's super valuable because they then you assume that person knows the rhythm of the 90 days. Um, but equally valuable is, is uh, talent that's been in the pre-IPO because there's so much learning that happens. And um, Tejo, you would know that too, like so much learning that happens in the early stages of a company because you're often wearing so many different hats. Um, and I can even say when I got to Zendesk, you know, we were, it was about a $250 million company. There was definitely more I was doing in more in different roles back then than I am doing now just because of the scale. So um, I think the context of where you are will define how you spend your time, but both are valuable. Got it. Awesome. So here's another one. Uh, you talked about, uh, you know, keeping up with technology and, uh, you know, uh, automation, AI, RPA, all those kinds of things. The question is related to that. It's about how do you juggle the balance of keeping up on the current technology while also keeping your skills up to date to what's coming next, right? And I guess the part of the question is that there's so much innovation that's happening. Uh, how do you not fall victim to the imposter syndrome and and, and how do you kind of manage the balance between, you know, keeping up with what's happening right now versus what you need to learn and, and then stay up to date on what's coming tomorrow? Yeah, that's a really good question and a tough question. Um, I think it's unique to, uh, to where you are uh, in your company and where they are. But I, I do think there's something about, hey, you've got to keep the trains running on time. We all do in finance, right? That's just kind of mandatory. Uh, what I have found is successful is uh, having one or two people in a finance org who are really uh, the evangelists for the whole org, because all of us in our day-to-day -day jobs, um, you know, we don't, we don't have a lot of time to do extra, like every CFO I talk to um, doesn't have the luxury of people having extra time. It's usually the other way around. Um, and so if you really want to make an impact in innovation and really enable the, the finance team, you probably have to invest in one or two people whose job it is to train and keep the organization looking forward as opposed to trying to build it into individual people's day jobs because you're not going to make an impact that way. There's never, like, I don't have a lot of finance people with extra, extra time on their hands. Got it. So here's another one about uh, domains, right, and expertise that you build up over time. Zendesk and Salesforce B2B SaaS, right? So it's kind of cloud-hosted software, recurring yeah. revenue, similar business models. But Charles Schwab to Visa to Salesforce, fairly different, right? And so how, did, how, how should one think about continuity and experience when you're building uh, your, your skills as you're moving up towards that CFO role? And what was your experience that you made some of those? Maybe Charles Schwab and Visa were more similar, but Charles Schwab and Salesforce were not that similar, right? And so how does that experience uh, change as a finance leader as you're going between different uh, uh, kind of verticals and, and areas of uh, business? Yeah, that's a good question. I get that question a lot, actually. Um, so I would say fundamentally the finance you know, operational skills that we all have are the same regardless of industry, right? There's certain things that, you know, revenue, profit, all measured the same generally. The metrics, how companies are evaluated might vary. So the things I look at as a tech CFO are different than the CFO or Charles Schwab, obviously. Um, and so learning those is important, but the fundamentals are the same. And I do think 
finance skills are very transferable across industries. Um, and I think understanding the context of where you're working really matters. So as an example, when I was at Schwab, uh, we went through the dot-com boom, you know, boom and, then, and then all of a sudden there was sort of like a, a recession. Um, and so in that case, I was very focused on cost structure and making sure we calibrated our cost structure for a declining revenue at that time. Um, the flip side is when I got to Salesforce, you know, I very quickly got to the, the Mark Benioff School of Growth. And it was like, what can we double down on and how can we grow faster and how can we invest to grow faster? And so you as a finance person have to adapt to whatever context your company is in at the time. But the foundational skills are very much the same and I think very fluid. You can switch uh, industries very quickly, I think. Got it. Uh, awesome. So I'm going to ask you uh, the last question, which is uh, maybe a softball, but what do you read? How do you learn? And, and you know, uh, what is your go-to in terms of uh, your favorite books to kind of help you level up uh, your uh, skill set and as you've seen growth and many come to mind that uh, you can recommend? Yeah. Um, so... First of all, how I, I decompress is um, is probably watching a, a Spanish novella uh, that uh, you guys probably wouldn't know the name of. But um, I like Patrick, L L I'm not going to say his name right, Lencioni's book, uh, Dysfunctional uh, Teams. I just think yeah. the power of teamwork and the power of what a team can accomplish if you're all humming on the same you know tune and really focused on the same thing and have that alignment is so huge. Uh, and when you don't have that, it's also as bad. Uh, and so I've, I've really enjoyed his books. I've gone to a couple of sessions of his and have found those to be, uh, even though I've done them a couple of times, every time I do them, I feel like, or every time I look back at that book, I feel like I, I'm reminded of a few things around leadership and teamwork. Got it. That's amazing. So Elena, thank you so much. I'm going to just read out what Natasha said in the comments here. You are so wonderfully and refreshingly candid. It is a pleasure listening to you. That's a direct quote. So thank you oh, so much. Oh, that's awesome. For, uh, Great. Well, thank you for that, everyone. <laughs> yeah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. For, and thanks for having uh, me. Joining us. No, it's, it's, uh, the pleasure is completely ours. And uh, I really appreciate you taking out your time. I'm so super busy. And uh, this meant a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Have a great day. Bye.